0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And uh, if you would, please grab your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, one of the things I hear a lot talking with, with Christians, and, and especially um, when Christians are trying to figure out the right thing to do or the right way to act, the right way to live, um, the decisions that, they, that we need to make on, in an everyday practical uh, application in life. Uh, I hear a lot that the Bible isn't clear. Uh, and what they actually mean is that it's not as clear as they want it to be. And over the, the last number of years, you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of Christians fighting, tearing each other apart over what's right, over what's wrong, uh, over how they think we should respond and react to the wrongs going on in the world around us. Um, There's a lot of division uh, in, the, in, in God's church over the last couple of years about how to do these things and how to uh, respond to the different circumstances and things going on in this world, in this culture, society, even within the church. Uh, and my point today is not going to be that for, for many of the circumstances that one way is right and one way is wrong. Uh, I'm not here to say that one method or decision or one reaction is clearly right, clearly wrong. I think For a lot of these situations that we see this division in, there's a lot of leeway for Christian liberty here on on many of the subjects. Now, that's not to say Scripture is clear on many subjects in many ways that there is clear right and wrong. The Bible is the one that gets to say that and determine that because God has spelled it out clearly in his word. But when it isn't quite as clear, when it's not as clear as we want it to be, Uh, when we see those different things, the Bible still gives us principles, uh, ways of thinking, ways of looking at things and filtering through our worldview, uh, that if we follow those things, will guide us just as clearly as when the Bible says, do this and don't do that. And in that vein, the passage I'm going to share this morning, what we will see is that in all times, in all circumstances, in all situations, no matter what else is going on, that we are to model Christ-likeness to all people. Uh, So that brings us to our text this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray, uh, and then we will jump into the Word. Uh, Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the clarity of your Word. Uh, Please help my words be just as clear in, in bringing forth your Word this morning and what it looks like, what it means, and what the application is. And I just pray for all of us to have open hearts and open minds uh, to the truth that you are sharing today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I will be reading out of the English Standard Version, but I encourage you to grab your preferred translation. Follow along with me reading and seeing for yourself what the word of God says. So 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, Paul writes... so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You know, it's, it's easy for us, especially as Christians, to, to forget that we are held to a higher standard than what this world adheres to. And actually, kind of the point is that we're, we're all held to the same standard. But we acknowledge the eternal truth and the reality of that standard. Whereas non-Christians, the rest of this world, uh, do not recognize the authority of God to set that standard. We are not held to the standard of this world. We are not held to the standard of society and culture. We are not held to the standard of America and the Constitution even. We are held to higher standards than that. We are held to harder standards. We are called to die to ourselves daily. We are called to bear our cross. We are called not to respond to people and groups in the same way that they talk to us. We are called not to respond to people and groups in the same way that they act towards us or how they treat us. We are called to the standard of Christ's righteousness. Jesus tells those around him in the Sermon on the Mount that unless our righteousness exceeds even that of the Pharisees, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We'll expand on on that more in a little bit. But the good news, the point being made is that even though we can't have enough of our own righteousness, if we are in Christ, and remember, we looked a couple weeks ago what that means to be in Christ. But if we are in Christ, we now have his perfect and saving righteousness. We don't need to be perfect and righteous on our own because we can't. But we have Christ's righteousness. Now, this, this idea, this concept that we are not to respond to people how they treat us, that we are to hold to a higher standard of behavior, a higher standard of heart and attitude. This is a foreign concept to much of the world. The prevailing instinct is to treat others how they treat you or worse and more often before they get a chance to. This is a concept born of the flesh. But we are called to those ideas and concepts born of the spirit that God shows us in his word. Every single life, every single human being is born in the image and likeness of Christ. This goes for everyone. Americans and non-Americans. Democrats and Republicans. Christians, Muslims, atheists. Liberals, conservatives. Black, white, brown, red, yellow, purple, green, polka dot and chartreuse. All people born are born in the image of Christ. Every single human life on earth is created in God's image and likeness. Now, this is the why this is important, one of the many reasons why this is so important, is because this is the entire basis, the entire and full foundation of our pro-life position. If we do not believe this, that every soul, every human being is born in the image and likeness of Christ... We have no right to say anything in regard to the wholesale slaughter of millions of unborn babies. A born in the image and likeness of Christ does not equal being a child of God. And that's where a lot of this world mixes things up. Everyone's a child of God. No, that is very intentionally and clearly in Scripture reserved for those who are in Christ. All are born in the image and likeness of Christ. Those who are saved and are in Christ are now able to be called the child of God. There's respect and dignity and and right treatment for those who are born in the image and likeness of Christ. There is eternal heaven for those who are a child of God. We are not called only to be nice and to treat well other Christians. We are called to treat every single human being in this world with the same dignity and the same respect that we want others to treat us. And the Bible does not give us any exceptions. If we want those who do not believe the Bible, those who think that the Bible is wrong, that it's archaic, that it's a fable, that it's made up, that it's barbaric, that it's whatever. if We want people that believe that to treat us with dignity and respect That we have the responsibility to do the same back to them. It does not mean that we we say that their beliefs are valid in, in terms of being truthful or the same level of truth as the Bible, but it means that we are treating them with the respect that God has called us to treat them. We're to remember that our battle, our war, is not with flesh and blood, but instead is in the spiritual realm against powers and principalities. Now, the, the passage Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians, Paul starts, he shows us that our duty is to treat others around us with Christ's spiritual standard as opposed to the world's physical and fleshly standard. We used to live. We used to believe. We used to act according to those standards. But God, we are born into, in, into new standards, new beliefs, new actions. But God, through his grace alone, delivered through our faith alone in his son, Jesus Christ alone, changes us, brings us from death to life. It changes us from the inside out. It changes our heart, changes our identity. It changes our nature. It changes our very being. We are then new creations. We are not the same as the old. We are not the same as who we were. We are now reconciled. God through Jesus Christ. When we are born, we are guilty of sin. When we live our lives, we are guilty of sin. That sin separates us from God. God has perfect and, and holy judgment and wrath against sin. And that is how we are living every day in our lives until Through God's grace, we become in Christ. And that reconciles us to God. No longer separates us. Christ's righteousness covers. He took that sin. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that reconciliation, that ministry of reconciliation, is is the, the umbrella of what Paul is talking about here. You can be saved through Christ, through God's grace. Now you're saved and you're new, not old anymore. Now, share that ministry of reconciliation with the people around you. We are new creations, now reconciled to God. Once we are reconciled in him, the old identity is gone. Though habits, temptations, and actions will still remain, until we stand in front of him and are perfected in our sanctification. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his devotions, he says, In every believer's heart, there is a constant struggle between the old nature and the new. The old nature is very active and loses no opportunity of employing all the weapons in in its deadly arsenal against newborn grace. While on the other hand, the new nature is always on the lookout to resist and destroy its enemy." When we are new creations in Christ, that change in us should be clear and noticeable. When that happens, we have one single job to do. That's what Paul says here. Now that you are a new creation, now that you know the ministry of reconciliation, God has entrusted this to you now. Therefore, you are ambassadors for Christ. You are ambassadors on behalf of the kingdom of God. My favorite title given to us in Scripture We speak and we share the official position, the official view of the kingdom of heaven. Not not what we want the official view to be, not what we think it might be or should be, but what it is. We are a conduit. We are to funnel the word of God to the people who need to hear it. We don't have to guess at what we're supposed to say. God's word has already said it for us. He's already shared it. We present and announce what our king has already decreed. We don't make laws. We don't determine the official position. We share Christ and him crucified. We preach the word. We love the people. We fulfill the great commission, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. God uses us. He entrusts us with the message of the gospel, with the ministry of reconciliation. He makes his appeal through us. Now, God can, God can do anything. The people often say, don't put God in a box. Most of the time, that's nonbelievers saying, well, you can't decide how salvation works. That's putting God in a box because he can, he can do whatever he wants. The truth is that God himself decides what boxes he has put in. To use that terminology, he himself chooses this is how salvation will work. This is how to save those who will be saved. He chooses to do so. He is clear in his word. He has already decreed. He's already written down. He's already shared with everybody. This is how salvation works. By his grace, through faith in his son. He writes in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. That's, that's what he's saying. You can think whatever you want to think. You can say, this is the way it should be. Or God could do this. But God's saying, but this is the way I'm doing it. This is the way that it will be done. Again, listen to the wording. As Paul, Paul does this, starting back in verse 18. The wording that Paul uses here. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself God chooses who and how he does it all. He chooses to use us, our words, our actions, our faith and testimony to show people who he is, the truth of his word that's already been given and his saving grace. The only way to be reconciled back to God, the only way to be reconciled in the ministry of reconciliation Uh, to God is through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. The forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ is our king. He is reigning today, here and now. He's not waiting to reign. It's not someday God, Jesus will be king. He is king now and forever. There's no waiting for tomorrow. Christ is king and he will be our savior if by God's grace we put our faith in his son. A couple of a couple of scripture passages here for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Those are all the words of Christ written down in your Bible. The one that you hold in your hand that so many have access to many more than have ever had access to in history. He is our king. He is our savior. We literally owe our eternal life to him. And he does this free and clear. Nothing we can do to earn it or to influence it or to cause it to bring it to bear. Says this right here. This is what you go. This is what you say. This is the truth that needs to be heard. These are the laws of the kingdom of heaven that I am granting you authority to go share. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Jesus does, however, tell us that after we are saved, we can't do anything again, free and clear, nothing to earn it, nothing to influence it, nothing to cause it to happen. But Jesus does tell us that after we are saved, we have certain responsibilities. Listed those, you can just open the scripture anywhere, and you will see that you are given a responsibility on how to live, how to act, how to think, how to be. Once you have, once you are in Christ, top of that list, and summing up all the others, as I said, is what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. What is what does that mean? And I, I want to encourage you to reflect on this, especially as you as you go out today and, and through your week. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Now, we are we are messengers. That's that's part of it. That's the first part of it. And we've already touched on that. But we are more than that. You know, to start, think of as you as you watch movies or watch TVs, you see a foreign ambassador, uh, you know, in our country or you see an American ambassador go to a different country. What are they? What do they do? How do they act? What is their role to play? They are messengers, of course, relaying the message of their country's leader for sure. But they also represent their culture. They represent their kingdom. They represent their citizenship to a foreign land in which they are strangers and aliens. A friend of mine described it this way. He says, if you're a United States ambassador to Germany, you fly into Germany, you drive through Germany, but when you get to the physical U.S. embassy, you are now literally on your country's sovereign ground. The ambassador would speak for the U.S., represent the US as German politicians come to the embassy or as you go out into the German country. As a Christian, I am living in a nation not my own. When I talk to people, I represent the kingdom of Christ. So I invite people over to show them how Christ, my king, would treat them. When I speak, I represent the way Christ speaks, his word. And especially in this culture and climate, I may be the only representative of Christ they ever see. There's a lot, of, a lot of assumptions still in this country that everybody in America has heard the gospel. Not everybody has accepted it, of course, but, but there's still that assumption, that prevalent belief that everybody in America has heard the gospel. It's not true any longer. It hasn't been true for a generation at least. With Hope and Eyes Ministry through Village Missions, we go to towns like this. Village Missions sends pastors, missionaries to rural America, places people have forgotten, places people don't want to send resources, to send people, to send anything. Because there's not enough people there, there's not enough desire for it, there's not anything there. A lot of times, these places aren't even a spot on the map. A lot of times these places aren't even a stop sign or a stoplight on the road. A lot of times these towns aren't even a town. And yet, we are called to show them the light of the gospel. You look at what is going on in this country. And in these places, these are some of the darkest places in our country. Some of the best places, some of the warmest places, some of the lovingest places, but some of the darkest places spiritually, economically, drugs and alcohol, depression, no jobs. A lot of these rural places don't have anything there except the people that live there. They need this hope. They need this ministry of reconciliation. And because it has been assumed For so long in our country, a lot of these peoples haven't actually heard the gospel. They've heard the name Jesus kind of esoterically. You know, okay, Jesus, Christians, okay. And that's it. That's the depth of what they've heard. So when we say we may be the only representative of Christ they ever see, that's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration. That could literally be the case to any person you walk up to in this country today. So, how are we supposed to be act? How are we supposed to act? Is it how we've always been taught or is it more complex and nuanced? How influenced are we by our family, our society, our culture, our nation, our history? Say again, our nation, our morality, How influenced are we by those things? Or are we influenced by the Bible? Are we influenced by the written and inerrant and inspired and sufficient word of our King, of God himself, who created heaven and earth, creator of the universe, the ultimate authority of all that is? That is where our influence needs to come from. We are to be the messenger, the one who proclaims the message, That our king has already proclaimed. We are to share what our king's non-negotiables are. The close-handed issues. We are to listen and compromise on the things that don't mean as much. That are open-handed issues. We are to communicate and share our sympathies. Share in the grief. When something happens in this world. This world that is not our home. But this world where we are sent to serve and to be the ambassador for. When something happens. We are to grieve with this world. And we are to draw lines in the sand where needed, and to brush those lines away where there are hindrance. There's a, a saying attributed to Saint Augustine: "In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; and in all things, charity." And so that begs the questions: What are the essentials? What are the non-essentials? I think. You can turn there and read it yourself later. I think uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15. (laughs) Paul makes a clear layout of what the essentials are in those first eight verses where he talks about. This is what I received from God that I passed on to you, that Christ, according to Scripture, lived a perfect and sinless life, that he was dead and buried, that he came back to life all according to the Scripture, that he rose That he was seen by Peter, James, and 500 more. That you can go and ask them right now as he was writing it. Those are the essentials. The gospel is the essentials. What the word of God is clear on are the essentials. The rest of the stuff, the gray areas, the principles, the the other things, those are the non-essentials. Somebody disagrees about what's going to happen at the end. Somebody disagrees on on how we do communion. If somebody disagrees on the right way to do uh, worship. If somebody disagrees on, on who gets baptized. If somebody disagrees on these things. That's important. We should have these discussions. And it may mean that we need to worship at separate churches. But it doesn't mean that we're not fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In essentials, unity. We all Come through we unite around the gospel around the cross of Jesus Christ. and non-essentials liberty. yeah, you can worship that way. Yeah, you can believe that the end's going to happen this way. Yeah, you can vote for this person or that person. And non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity, the treating everyone that we come across with the respect and dignity as a worship or as an image bearer of Christ. One of the biggest reasons that this is my favorite title that we are given is because, because of what it tells us about what God expects from us. So we said before, these principles that the Bible communicates, the principles where it's not as clear as we would want it to be clear. Those principles are a guide for how we are to act, how we are to think Uh, About and through, and how we are to filter all circumstances. Whatever comes up, whatever happens in your life, whoever comes across your path, whatever happens, if we understand the principles of this passage, we will know what we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to respond, and what the will of God is. Treat all people at all times with Christ likeness. Trust in And be reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Act as the new creation in Christ that you are. Implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Represent your kingdom, the kingdom of God, with all the authority given to you by Christ to represent Him to the people of this world, which is not our home. We are strangers and aliens, we are exiles and sojourners in a land that is not our own. Ambassadors, disciples, subjects to a sovereign king, a child of God, adopted and sealed by the Holy Spirit, freely saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And now we go and act like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your clear word, Thank you for giving us the authority to to share what you've already said clearly. Thank you for the principles that you've given us and how to treat others, calling us to a higher standard and yet knowing we won't always meet that standard. But in you, we are covered in Christ's blood, in Christ's righteousness, that that has forgiven our trespasses, forgiven our sins so that we can go out being reconciled to you and share that reconciliation. Implore others on your behalf to be reconciled to you. Thank you that you have given us this opportunity to represent you in a place that is not our home. But you have saved our home next to you, with you in heaven. We will get to you soon. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As one guy I listen to says, he finishes all of his messages go and serve your king.